And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Daily Ding here on the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Jared Weiss. I am joined by Bay Area columnist Tim Kawakami from the Athletic. Andrew Six is our producer. And Tim, we want to talk about a couple stories you've worked on in the past year that were really interesting. And we're going to start with your column after game six of the first round against uh, the Warriors against the Kings, first round of the playoffs this year, where it looked like everything was falling apart. So take me back to that moment and what you were seeing and how things ended up playing out. Yeah, that was just unique because it, it, I wrote at the time uh, and it was, it was probably the worst loss, just given the stakes, uh, it, worst playoff loss in the kind of Steph Curry era. And they'd have they had been eliminated. The loss obviously famously game seven against the Cavaliers on their home court, but that was LeBron, the height of LeBron. Um, obviously a terrible loss, but losing at home when you fought to get up on the Kings. When they were down, remember, they were down to the Kings. Uh with at, you know, at the tail end of the Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson era, they knew they could just finish it off in game six against the younger, fresher Kings. They, you know, we know what went on after that but at that moment was kind of like the the circling you know like three guys uh that we knew their legacies are at stake but we knew that this was a, a very large moment the team failed in a lot of different ways and just like you, you show up to go to the locker room I, you know my rule is you go to the locker room when you when the locker room is open you try to feel what they're feeling you try to get the context of their emotions of you know the strategies of just what it's like in there doesn't always lead to a lot that one uh you know walking there a couple players milling around but mostly it cleared out by the time we got in there and the warriors are unique that even during the regular season especially the playoffs they send players one at a time to the podium so they most of the people are are at the press conference they're not there in the locker room although there are people there i'm not saying it's empty but that time it was kind of late Steph, I think, and Clay were the ones who went to the podium, maybe one other player, but not Draymond. But they, for this moment, for like 10 solid minutes, it was just just those three players sitting on their side of the locker room, but you know, pretty far apart. I think 20 feet, you know, their, their lockers are four or five people are in between them. But this moment was just those three just kind of quietly sitting there. They weren't really talking to each other. Clay had the Memphis uh, game on. They're getting destroyed. They're getting blown off the court. He was kind of snickering at that, but they were quiet. And you just, you know, I felt that because I've covered them for their entire Warriors careers, all three of them, through a lot of high points, clearly, through some low points. I know them very well. They know me very well. And it just kind of was the shared moment. Uh, and I wrote about it because it felt like that. But it, and this is why I go to stuff. This is why you, you have this kind of knowledge of personalities and of a team and of the moment and the stakes and what happens if they can't rally here and it did feel like this was those three kind of starting that process like we got to do this again this is not what we expected 
this is not you know a proud a proud group kind of hanging on at the end uh and it just was all there I, and i wrote it and the interesting thing is i see I start, people start text, texting me and tweeting to me the next day they say draymond's quoting you draymond's quoting you it's like well, okay, what did he say? They like tell me the quote. I go, well, I didn't actually write that. I know I thought that. I didn't write that. And it turns out Draymond was quoting me from the Warriors Plus Minus podcast right after I wrote, right after the game, uh, speaking about, like, I've been in a lot of Warriors locker rooms. I've been through a lot of things with this. I've never felt that before. And Draymond quoted that, saying, you know, that captured the moment what he was feeling. It's just like, that's why we're there. That's why, you know, that's why we're not at home, just writing our thoughts. We do that too, but... For the big stuff, for the contextual stuff, for the stuff that means something beyond just one game, one win, one loss, uh, I felt it all right in, in that moment to try to capture it, not override it, not be maudlin. But what was there? What what did it feel like to be in that moment in that locker room where fans or readers aren't there? That time it was important to be there, important to write. I think write it like that. But so what is it like when you write about a player? And then that player goes on their own podcast <laughs> yeah. to react to what you're saying. And you're in this almost like media back and forth engagement. Yeah, the very, the very lightly listened to Draymond Green podcast, right? Like nobody even listens. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I just all think, like, Draymond's quoting you. Uh, you know, Draymond and I have a long relationship. So maybe if it was somebody else, it would be different. Um, but, you know, we know each other well. We have a, you know, sometimes up, sometimes down, mostly good. Uh, we have an understanding of each other. So I wasn't surprised. I mean, th that he quotes me from a podcast that someone, you know, well, I don't think he's transcribed the podcast, but someone got it to him. He liked it. He said it. He could have, you know, said something, you know, it could have been something negative. I, you know, I was like, well, maybe I said something negative and Draymond didn't like that. Uh, but it just, it, it just tells you that they felt that you read the moment correctly and maybe even help them think through that moment a little bit. Uh, Cause something was happening. Like there was something that then we all know that, the next day, which is the day before Game 7 in Sacramento, Steph Curry calls the team together and they and it's kind of his emotional speech. There was anything up towards that. You could feel that. I didn't know that was coming. And Marcus Thompson, Sean Michelin did a great job writing about it after Game 7. And it helps that Steph score 50 that game. But you could just kind of feel the regeneration going on. And again, I don't know how it was going to end. I, I, didn't, I mean, I don't know that I foresaw them winning Game 7, Steph playing great but you could imagine that was happening you could say that less Steph Curry Draymond Green Clay Thompson don't lose these moments they should they shouldn't have lost game seven game six I should say but they kind of recalculated got themselves back ready and they were determined to win game seven it just felt that in that moment so when Draymond's quoting me saying it uh thankfully it was not a, a ridiculous quote of mine it actually made sense uh yeah you go okay that's confirmation of what I felt I can, you know, and I do feel this, like the experience of being with them informed me about that moment and they knew I would read it correctly or they had a pretty good guess I would. Uh, and it, it was like mostly me by myself in there with them for most of this time because everyone else is talking to the people at the podium. You know, I forget who else would have gone up there, whether it was, you know, Andrew Wiggins or whoever, but it was mostly just me in there and those three in a quiet moment. Um, pretty interesting, pretty unique. And again, we are there for those. And I don't know what the percentage share you would say of times we get something like that. Not very high, but it's 0% if you never go. You never get that feeling if you're not in there. And I just, I do say this to young writers. I say this to readers. I say this to anybody. I say this to editors. 
This is the important thing about beat writing or column. I feel like a beat writer myself when I write columns. I do. I, I associate myself with beat writing. So you're there. You're on hand. It's like, this is different than it was two years ago because I was in there two years ago. This is different than it was for game one because I was in there for game one. This is different than it was, you know, game five against Oklahoma City in, in 2016 because I was there for that. That all stuff is pretty important. And that's when Draymond is quoting me off of that. It's him acknowledging in, his, in a tacit way that I do understand that. And, you know, that's pretty good. It's pretty good confirmation. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, a, a huge part of that job when you're a reporter is to have context, to apply context, especially because everybody can see what's happening on the court. You can be there behind the scenes to understand the why rather than the how and the what. And I, I love the way that you started the piece. It's a technique I like to do. I did it a few times during Boston's insane playoff run this last year about like trying to capture the immediate reaction so that you can then contextualize what they actually say when they go to the press conference after they take a shower. And so I, how, I guess how important is it for people to understand like kind of the process a player has of when they're cooling off from the game till they actually kind of gather their thoughts and talk publicly? Yeah, it's different for each guy, uh, you know, and certainly probably different for veterans as opposed to mid-career guys, as opposed to young guys each within their own world and their own viewpoints. And certainly we're talking about three very veteran players uh, who all have their ways. And I'm, you know, I've covered them throughout. I think uh, Clay is kind of more, you know, as you can imagine, he's kind of more shoot from the hip, kind of sitting at his locker and kind of just, you know, saying, you know, watching a game and kind of talking to himself. Uh, and then he gets up to the to the press conference. He says there are similar things. That's why I quoted him mostly in this column, because he's the one who said some things. Because he's clicked off, like we, you know, it's terrible. We didn't do what we we wanted to do, but we will do better. We will, we're champions. This is what we do, uh, and you can feel that in him. And it, it, that's why Clay is beloved for what he does, and that's why he is who he is. He kind of says what he feels. He doesn't really have a kind of editing process. A little bit one, but not not much. Draymond did not talk that night, as I recall. Um, he talks most nights, not for most games, but he didn't after that one. I just really didn't quote him, so I, I'm pretty sure he didn't talk. Uh, but he has his more like, let's just get over with. I'm going to, you know, maybe I have a statement to make. I want to say something that I know is going to get a reaction. And then, let you know, uh, it's, it's kind of like, a, um, almost like a coach, I would say, but in his, in a, certainly not a coach, but in his uh, Draymond way, but it kind of is a feel let's go. This is, this, is, you know, I, I need, I have an emotion. I want to kind of get out there and I want the players to hear it. And I want the coaches to hear it. And I want the fans to hear it. Like that, that's Draymond. Like he's the amp up guy. He's or the chastise guy or, you know, this, the emotional fire 
Uh, Steph takes a long time, always takes a long time. He's always kind of, you know, you could just see him kind of thinking through his stuff. He might talk, you know, a few words here or there, but he's not like, you know, pacing around. He's just kind of sitting there. You can imagine stuff. He's just kind of sitting there quietly, head down a little bit, maybe eating some dinner, uh, eating a sandwich, likes a good sandwich, that guy. Obviously, he loves popcorn. Take some time. Uh, often lifts his weights, you know, right after the game. So it takes even longer. Steph is famous for taking a long time, but it's Steph Curry. I always say that's why we're there. So we're going to wait for Steph Curry. And then when he comes out, it's just kind of thought through. It's kind of like, what's going to hit the right note? What do I need to say? You do find yourself like Steph isn't the most colorful quote, but the things he says are the ones that tend like the important stuff is what you remember two months later. Or four months later. That, that's what Steph, they, the Warriors did it even after they lose game six to the Lakers, another another game. They're eliminated. And Steph did say something about, we don't have a changeup offensively. We don't have something different. And they're still, they're, that's how they, why they acquired Chris Paul. Like they're, they're referencing what Steph said right after the game because it was thought through. It was like an analytical, some emotions, but certainly less than Draymond. So I think. And we know these three guys. I mean, you know, anybody who's watched the Warriors feels like they know those three guys. I, I know them quite well. And um, that was kind of the converging of those three personalities, that we, as we've seen on court, as we've seen in quotes throughout the years. But I think in that moment, they each had their own little thing, uh, but it added up together to what we saw at Game 7, and that's pretty important. You know, they don't lead to a championship, uh, but it was pretty instructive of who they are in this moment, who they've been throughout their careers. All right. So that gets us to kind of the fourth member of the core at this point, Andrew Wiggins. Sure. So you had the story right at the beginning of the finals in 2022, which I think was a year ago, but I can't even keep track at this point. <laughs> well, oh, ooh, and, what, what, what it was. And so we both covered that series and that series yep. was fascinating because one of the huge matchups coming into it was going to be Andrew Wiggins trying to guard Jason Tatum and Wiggins was having a big year. This was his chance to really cement his place in the league. And he shut down Jason Tatum completely. And so you enter the series with this huge feature on just the process they got from losing Kevin Durant and all the different trades that kind of came through that to eventually get to Wiggins and Jonathan Kamingo. So I guess walk me through how that story came together and why you structured it the way you did, starting by talking about that kind of, those kind of chain of events that got them to Wiggins. Yeah, it's like, you know, as the playoffs are going on, like he's guarding Luka. I mean, the second round, he's all Luka. Like I'm sorry, it was third. It was the it was the I'm sorry, it was Western Conference Finals, and that, that really like he's so valuable. We'd been saying it, we've been writing it, fit right into them, um, personality wise, basketball wise. Uh, you know, as the third or fourth guy, it just seemed to fit. Is is the chemistry was right? So like this is interesting, and you just keep thinking they could have lost Kevin Durant for nothing. Like generally in that moment, as a free agent, you lose a guy for nothing. They could have lost him for nothing. They could have gone right to cap space. And yet, they turned it into a sign of trade. They get D'Angelo Russell, and a few months later, they trade D'Angelo Russell for Andrew Wiggins and the draft pick that becomes Jonathan Kaminga. So this stuff is just like, isn't it interesting that they added and said that this was not a loss. This was an interesting way for them, and how did they do it? Who else doesn't like this? Where they kind of take D'Angelo Russell's extra money as a way station, knowing it might work, might not work, but if we if it doesn't work, we know we can flip him immediately for Andrew Wiggins. In fact, we can get Andrew Wiggins and more. And so they're resuscitating Andrew Wiggins' career because we know it was at a very low point. When that trade happened, I think the general thought was the Warriors made a bad trade because uh, you took all this Andrew Wiggins money. 
older player, not a point guard, who knows what he was. So they get Charlie Kaminga out of it, and they get out of the luxury tax by dumping two other players to Minnesota and puts Minnesota in luxury tax. Like, how did that happen? Like, you know, we can, you, you know, you've covered these things. These big moments happen. We do it at the time, and then you kind of learn more. You learn more text to it. You learn like what was that phone call like? And the Warriors have been pretty good. And you, you know, maybe it's a victory parade. Maybe it's you know, people. Maybe it's arrogance. Whatever. Joe Lacob, certainly the owner, is not shy about bragging about things they've done successfully. But it just like it strands. Like Kerr saying, you know, you know, when they're up three nothing over Dallas, like, oh, the key to this has been Andrew Wiggins. That's the key to this. And he was right. It's like, okay, let's let's thumb through this. It's like, how did that happen? And what move led to that? And it went back, no question, to, you know, that, the franchise was hit pretty hard when they lost Kevin Durant. Obviously, they lose uh, in the finals. Durant has the Achilles tear. Clay is out. What do you do? And what I know about this team, just because I've covered them and know about Joe Lake, is they were like, that night that they lost, they were planning, what do we do? And... They're a big play. Well, one of them was possible. Can we, can we sign LeBron James, by the way? Uh, who was a free agent? Did not sign with them. Uh, what else did we do? What do we do? Spin, spin. Let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. And they were able to convince another huge thing. Bob Myers was able to convince Kevin Durant to turn us into a sign and trade. Kevin Durant did not have to agree to that. The Nets did not have to agree to that. But Kevin Durant just felt like, hey, you know what? If I'm going to go, let's let him make this a sign and trade. There was some thought that he didn't want it to just be him for D'Angelo Russell. So they threw a pick. It was just, it was just a weird little concoction of things, but it got to the Warriors, D'Angelo Russell. They hold the salary slot. It's them. A lot of teams will say, we don't, well, if we're going to not have Kevin Durant, let's not pay anybody $30 million. Forget that. The Warriors said, you know what? We want to keep the salary. So we want to be able to trade it for somebody. And let's get D'Angelo Russell, see, what's, see what we can do. We can always spit him. And that's the Bob Myers, you know, who has stepped down at the end of last season. You know, always have another thing you can do once you do something and have that planned out. And I just went through it, talked to Bob Myers, talked to, interesting, this was that night they're, they're doing it all was the first night really Mike Dunleavy Jr. shows up on the scene as Myers kind of lieutenant. He had been kind of a scout until then. So this is another through line because then eventually Mike Dunleavy Jr. becomes Bob Myers' replacement as general manager. But just kind of like, how do they think that? What relationships were important to, to go through this? Did they really know that they could get Andrew Wiggins once they made the deal Durant for Daniel Jones? They, they kind of knew. Like All these things are important parts of this. If you don't know you can move DeAndre Russell, you probably don't get him because you don't want him because he might not work with Steph Curry, and it did not. And when did they know it didn't work? I'd say pretty early. Uh, that wasn't going to work, Russell, with Steph. And I just, I just love piecing those things together because that's how the big stuff happens. And if you don't have the like kind of the flexibility, you don't have the advanced thinking. The war is kind of famous for their whiteboards. I would love to get a picture of one of their whiteboards. Like, what does 2025 look like? What does 2026 look like? That's how they plan out the stuff. That's how they got Kevin Durant in 2016, by the way. Because in like 2014, they started game planning. How would they be able to create that room? How would they get him through the cap spike? All these things that, that were kind of working in that process. So I've been always on the eye for that kind of thing. What are the 17 steps it takes to be able to flip Kevin Durant into Andrew Wiggins in 
John Kaminga when by all rights you could have got nothing for him. When they signed Kevin Durant from Oklahoma City, guess what they gave up? Zero. Nothing. Because it was cap space. Period. Could have happened the same way when they lost Kevin Durant and instead they turned it into, you know, basically the final piece of, of a twenty two twenty two championship. Uh very interesting, you know, just the way they resuscitate players, the way they plan it out. I don't know if they're ever gonna be able to do it again. <laughs> I don't I don't know. You know, the Kaminga part can seem big and can seem not big. He goes up and down, but just kind of this, you know, the the blueprint, the kind of behind the scenes look at the way a team going at a very high level puts things together. I think I think readers love that stuff. And if you, you know, you, you can't just all of a sudden decide, I'm going to figure out how this happened. You kind of have to be following it as it goes. And the little nooks and crannies, are very important. Like I didn't even play it up enough. I put it in there. You know, not only you know the getting out of luxury tax was huge because it stopped their you know repeater to all these things that we know, um, and they forced that on Minnesota. Like you've got not only do we get Wiggins and Kaminga, you got to take these other two players to make sure we get under. Like that was the final negotiation of this trade. So I mean, Joe Lega at the time thinks. It, you know, one of the greatest trades ever, and he gets made fun of it, and I roll my eyes at that one. Come on. I mean, it was, let's see, uh, Andrew Andrew Wiggins, who knows? But as you think about it, they got a guy who maybe their second best player in the NBA Finals that do not beat the Celtics without him, do not beat the Celtics without him. 24 at the time, I think. It's like 26 now. And the perfect fit for you. You get Jonathan Mingo, who's your shot at, you know, this next generation whenever they get, and you get out of the and you get the luxury tax when you could have gotten nothing. Like this is how you build the next championship team. That's it right there. And so it just kind of was piece by piece, being around guys, talking to guys, you know, getting bit, getting you know Bob Myers to call you back when when you want to talk about something like that. And he was very willing to do that. Um, and yet, just like having the idea that if I ask him about this, I might get something here, and that's the context that's the, the ability over the years to kind of remember this stuff and play it through and then another random moment is like when they did the jordan pool extension last summer or last october like can you really do you want to do this like this is a lot of money for a young guy and myra said the one thing we've learned over the years is like when you extend guys at decent market rates you can always trade them and I thought, that's it it was when they signed they made offers to did not sign Harrison Barnes and Festus Azili in 2015. They knew that if they just signed him to market rate and they had other guys in that situation, they could get rid of them. Guess what? To make room for Kevin Durant. And I let, he went up to him, is that what you meant? Or was that Kevin? He goes, yeah, that's it exactly. This is how teams think. It's how they put stuff together. And I'll tell you what, they appreciate it when you understand it. <laughs> they really do. Like you, you got to call them out when they get it wrong. If they screw it up, which the Warriors have screwed up some things. Uh, James Wiseman pick, uh, other various things. But when you can find, kind of follow along the thread and follow along the whiteboard if you can. I've never seen that whiteboard, but I can picture it. And I, I have had people describe certain things, part of it. Uh, it fills in a lot of blanks for readers and for fans. And I like filling in gaps. I'm curious about it myself. I don't want to know the answer to these questions if I wasn't even writing about it. So happens I can find the answers out and write about it. Uh, I, I have uh, great satisfaction doing stuff like that because uh, you don't always see it. You, you wonder about it and you just try to, you know, here's here's the through line here. Here's the sketch out of how this 
got to this and this thing at the end was worth a championship and might be enough worth something else down the road. Uh, that's the stuff I like to do. Well, that's what we call light years, folks. <laughs> no, don't put that on me. Don't put that. Yeah, <laughs> it, is, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, they might call that light years. The, the Warriors might call that what, light years. That's for sure. All right, well, we'll see whatever he calls it at the next stop. He's Tim Kawakami, covers everything Bay Area for us at The Athletic. Andrew Slex, our producer. I'm Jared, Jared Weiss. That's my name, Jared Weiss. And we will see you next time on The Ding. And I have to say ding, ding. I have to. Ding, ding. 